I'm Brett McGarry. This week on The Couch Potatoes, Marvel and Netflix finally unleash the Defenders. Was it a super show? Yes and no. I'll explain that a little bit later. Plus... We both saw the new movie Wind River, starring Hawkeye, Scarlet Witch, and the Headstones. We'll review that a little later. Plus... I also saw a solid, scary movie this week, Annabelle Creation. First, it's the news... From the couch... My dad would wait for me to come home so that I could help him move furniture. This is his favorite bonding activity. I don't see him for three months. Give me a hand with this, would you? I haven't seen you in three months. Yeah, I know. Get the other end of this. Let's go. A couple of little teasers and some details came out this week about Jerry Seinfeld's upcoming Netflix stand-up comedy special. It's a little different than a straight-ahead stand-up special, for starters. It's clearly shot in a little club, and Jerry usually plays arenas at this point. Then there's the material. It's old, really old. Why else would a man in his 60s be doing a bit about his father and him that's clearly set 30 years ago? My father's moving technique was to pick up something incredibly heavy, get it in the air... And then he explains what we're going to do with it. He's always got a cigarette in his mouth, burned down about a quarter of an inch long, the smoke going right in his eye. Because you want your eye blinking and tearing when you're going backwards down a staircase holding a wall unit. That's the easy way to do it. The jokes uh, actually date back to 1975. The hook is, it's all or mostly all unused material that he has reworked. The teasers show the legal pads he wrote on and kept all these years, highlighting the material as he does it live. The little club, by the way, is the comic strip in New York City, one of the clubs he got his start in. Socks hate their lives, we know that. They're on the stinky feet, the boring drawers. They wait for the laundry. That's their one chance to escape, and they all know. How many times have you done a wash, go to the dryer, count up your socks, one of them got out. What can he do? How is he going to survive out there on a golf club, puppet show, amputee? What are the options? The hour-long special is part of Jerry's mega deal with Netflix that includes another stand-up special, his Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee show, as well as the development of other comedy programming. Jerry, before Seinfeld, plops on September 19th. Sometimes you'll see a dirty sock on the street. Just one. Just dirty, twisted, exhausted. He only made it a couple of blocks. What about his partner left behind? What are his options? Hey, oh, well, no, I'm going to get thrown out because of him. How is that fair? The whole drawer knew he was going to pull a stunt like this someday. That's why he was always inside out and rolling down at the top. He wasn't one of us to begin with. I would have loved to say thank you face to face to face to everybody somehow. I did not think there was any chance in hell that we were going to make it to the tour. One doctor told him, you're not going on the road. You can't make it to Everest. Don't tell Gordy can't do something. A new trailer for the upcoming Tragically Hip documentary was released this week. It's called Long Time Running and focuses on singer Gord Downey's brain cancer diagnosis and the band's subsequent tour last summer. Last year, we were all impressed they pulled off that tour after learning of Downey's medical situation. But from the looks of the trailer, it was a minor miracle that it happened. Poor Downey's brain tumor is incurable. He literally wasn't in good enough shape to form any sentences. He couldn't give you one name of an album, let alone the lyrics. Everybody around me did help me get onto my knees and then onto my feet and then... People, we are... Yes, I can get 
Long Time Running will play at the Toronto International Film Festival and then open in theaters September 14th. I've been the guitar player in the Tragically Hip for more than half my life. I still see us piling into the van and driving off. How many people get to go and say goodbye in their own terms? Maybe it was a celebration of, look what this band did. I mean, it was just a dream. I wanted the shows to go on forever. What's the thing that scares you the most? It is now official, Donald Trump is the next president of the United States. That is from the first trailer for season seven of the FX anthology series, American Horror Story Cult. The cast of Cult includes series regulars, Sarah Paulson for one, as a woman who is dealing with some things. Since election night, it has just all been getting so much worse. The recurrence of the chlorophobia? Yes. The clowns. I'll work through it. He was right there! Ellie, this is ridiculous! I know what I saw! What fills your heart with dread? Children. I've always enjoyed children. Here, I got this for you. Just don't tell your moms. I'm not making this up. I don't know how much more of this I can take. The cast also includes Evan Peters, who is the leader of the cult in question. If you get people scared enough, they will set the world on fire. It's the most intense physical pain you've ever experienced. When I open this door, do not let go of my hand. Emma Roberts is back, Billy Lord as well. She's the daughter of the late Carrie Fisher. She joins the cast, and Twisty the Clown from the Freak Show season will make an appearance as well. Last year, American Horror Story Roanoke was excellent, so I'm hoping the quality will continue. The series returns in two weeks. American Horror Story Cult premieres Tuesday, September 5th on FX. Good news and bad news for fans of Stranger Things this week. Hey guys, do you see the... The second season of the Netflix show is still two months away, but it's already been renewed and cancelled, sort of. Those sci-fi shows set in the 80s feature some kids, a monster, and a shady government lab. It was all the rage when season one came out last year, so the second season was a no-brainer. The second season trailer shows Will again in touch with the Upside Down, the bizarro apocalypse world where he sees what looks like a giant spider coming to eat us all. Nothing's going to go back to the way that it was. Not really. I saw something. What is it? I don't know. I felt it. But with two months to go before any of that happens, Netflix has already given the green light for season three. And the creators of the show, the Duffer Brothers, told Vulture this week they intend to stop after season four. 
That's a good idea, actually. Short runs, when they're intentional, are usually a good thing. Every long-running series gets watered down the longer it goes, with a few sitcoms and police procedurals being the exception, as they can reset to square one after each episode. And let's be honest, in two more years, these kids are not going to be the adorable ragamuffins we all take them for. Gangly, pimply, awkward teens. No thanks, get off my TV. The nine-episode second season will plop on Netflix October 27th. happening is spreading from this place. What is it want? Not me. Everyone else. <laughs> hey, remember this guy? If he dies, he dies. How could you forget Ivan Drago, the Soviet boxing machine from the 1985 film Rocky IV, who is played by the Swede who will make you bleed, Dolph Lundgren. This week, Lundgren posted a video on the Instantgrams of him training to bring back Drago for Creed II. It's just him punching a lot. Punching. He's punching. Punching. Yes, that's right. In case you haven't heard, Sylvester Stallone has confirmed that Ivan Drago, and maybe his kid, will be in a big battle with Adonis Creed in Creed 2. The first Creed arrived in 2015 and was excellent, with Michael B. Jordan playing Apollo's son and Stallone returning as Rocky. Stallone got a Golden Globe victory for his performance and an Oscar nomination. Now, the original plan was to get Creed 2 into theaters by November 2017, but Creed director Ryan Coogler is still working on Marvel's Black Panther, which debuts February 16th, 2018. Also, Stallone just finished the script, so who knows when Creed 2 will open, but we know it will have more Drago. from the way it was, my lord. And Downton Abbey must change with it. Downton Abbey wrapped up its sixth and final season in 2015 with all the storylines wrapping up, but we will soon learn what happened after that sixth and final season in a movie which will begin filming soon. Downton Abbey ended in the year 1925, so this continuation could include the Wall Street crash in 1929 or maybe the lead-up to World War II. It isn't known which cast members will return, but the Downton Abbey movie is expected to start production next year. We never know what's coming, of course. Who does? But I'd say we have a good chance. And finally... In a time of ancient gods, warlords, and kings, a man in turmoil cried out for a hero. The Xena Warrior Princess reboot is no longer happening, at least not at NBC. NBC Entertainment President Jennifer Salke tells The Hollywood Reporter, quote, We looked at some material. We decided at that point it didn't warrant the reboot. I'd never say never on that one because it's such a beloved title, but the current incarnation of it is dead. He was Xena. 
a mighty princess forged in the heat of battle. Xena Warrior Princess starred Lucy Lawless and aired in syndication from September 1995 to June 2001. Gabrielle, what do you think you're doing? Oh, that's just great. It's gonna smell like fish for days. Well, what was I supposed to use, huh? You threw our only good cutting knife at a warlord last week. That is the news from the couch. Up next, we'll tell you what's coming to home video this upcoming week. We also have reviews of Wind River, Annabelle Creation, and The Defenders. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. When war ravaged the earth, the gods created us. I will fight for those who cannot fight for themselves. Wonder Woman, what are you? You will soon find out. I'm Brad, he's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes having a look at what is coming to home video this upcoming week. And Jeff, uh, I think I sort of figured out what that was. <laughs> yeah, the guy says it. It's Wonder Woman <laughs> on Digital HD on Tuesday. It's uh, one of the better movies of the year so far. We Easily. both love that one. Yeah, I really loved it. And uh, probably it's the it's the, the champion of the summer, I think. I think so too. For sure. And uh, that's coming to Digital HD, so platforms like iTunes and Google Play and what have you. Yep. Also, the same uh, platforms, Captain Underpants, the first epic movie, a kid's movie. But uh, a couple of my friends that took their kids said they enjoyed it immensely. It looked like a lot of fun. So, yeah, the animation looked unique. Yeah. That's based on some kids' books, I think, right? Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Uh, moving on to the hard copies of Blu-ray and DVD. Some TV. Gotham season three, season five of Chicago Fire, season two of Chicago Med, season one of Designated Survivor, season three of Star Wars Rebels, season thirteen of Grey's Anatomy, and Impressive. season five of Elementary. And a couple of movies: uh, The Lion King, the signature series, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Oh, boom! And Baywatch, starring The Rock. There you go for that. that Looking I for still, second life. I still can't believe how significant a failure that Baywatch <laughs> was. It looked so funny. Yeah. Oh, and it, yeah, it's one of those things where everyone's like, yeah, that's going to be hilarious and awesome. And then it opens like, no, I'm not going to that. <laughs> well, I'm, I, not, I'm not spending money on that. Well, his reviews were terrible. 19% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yep. That chased me away. Maybe there is something to uh, Brett Ratner when he said Rotten Tomatoes is ruining the movie industry because <laughs> people see the bad reviews and they just don't go. Or maybe people just didn't care. I don't know. Yeah. I, I would have thought I think with a people, cast like that. Yeah. But I, I think that show ended long enough ago that a lot of people just don't get it, too. Yeah. But there Could you be. Know. There's that. And then over on Netflix uh, on Friday, season three of Narcos starts. And a couple of movies you might be interested if you miss them in the theater. The Oscar nominee Hidden Figures, which is terrific. If you haven't seen it yet, it'll be on Netflix next week. And uh, Martin Scorsese's Silence, which I have not seen yet. And now I look forward to watching it for free on Netflix. Let's talk very briefly here about... Yeah. Game of Thrones. You are caught up. Oh, gee, I am finally caught up. I was like, oh, the finale's coming up. I need to get caught up. And I watched uh, episodes two through six in a couple of days. And uh, that's a lot of dragon fire going on. It was awesome. Yes, <laughs> they finally unleashed the dragons. And I'll tell you, the, the, the sixth episode, so this one this past week. Yeah. I, I'm just cruising through YouTube and... Unfortunately, because of the the fact that episode six was leaked right. accidentally by HBO, so of course it got ripped, put on the internet, and people just liberally put the clips on YouTube. <laughs> and you got so all I'm spoiled. Just, yeah, like it was. It, 
I didn't even have to watch the clip. It said right in the title, so-and-so talks to so-and-so after so-and-so. And I thought, <laughs> come on! You just told me how the whole episode goes! So, that made yeah, me mad. I don't get... That's what it blows my mind where people are like, oh, the script is out. Let's read the spoilers. It's like, why would you want to do that? You're just ruining the show for yourself. I did that once upon a time back in 2004. I was working an overnight shift and... So what do you do overnight? You spend a lot of time on the internet. Yep. I found a draft script. I must have taken a really deep dive because I found a draft of Revenge of the Sith. Wow. Star Wars Revenge of the Sith. And naturally, I read half of it. <laughs> spoiled the whole thing for myself. And I thought, God, I hope this is just... This yeah, isn't not the, the real thing. Turned out to be pretty much bang on. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you regretted it as soon as you went to the theater. So you wouldn't do that now. No. You learned your lesson. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I just I just don't think I think most people just don't want to be sp- Why would you want to be spoiled ahead of time? Some people like to know ahead of time, but so I don't. Weird. No. I don't. I want to see it. Yeah. I want to see it all and be surprised, but some people some people don't like the the I think the the the, the anxiety that comes with not knowing. I don't know. That's don't not know. me. Yeah, yeah. So, well, I, I just don't understand those people. But yes, yeah, so, so finale is coming up this weekend. That'll be good. I can't wait. Game of Thrones. We'll talk more about Game of Thrones next week. Up next, we'll talk about Wind River. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Brett McGarry, Jeff Brown, we are The Couch Potatoes. We saw a new movie this week from the writer of Sicario and Hell or High Water. It's called Wind River. Sheriff's office. I need emergency assistance. What's your location? The Wind River Reservation. I'm Jane Banner, FBI. Welcome to Wyoming. You by yourself? It's just me. That's Corey Lambert. He's the one who found the body. This is a homicide. I knew that girl. She's a fighter. Wind River is about a rookie FBI agent played by Elizabeth Olsen investigating a murder on a remote First Nations reserve in the mountains of Wyoming. She's joined by a local game tracker played by Jeremy Renner. They have six officers to cover an area the size of Rhode Island. Maybe you can help. Well, I know what the tracks say. What is it that you do again? I'm predators. So why don't you come hunt one for me then? It's the finale of Taylor Sheridan's Modern American Frontier trilogy. Sheridan wrote the scripts for Sicario and Hell or High Water, both critically acclaimed, and on top of writing Wind River, he directed it as well. Be out here. Where's she running from? You're looking for clues, but you're missing all the signs. Shouldn't we wait for backup? This isn't the land of backup, Jane. This is a land of your on your own. Luck don't live out here. The movie also stars Graham Greene as the local law enforcement on the First Nation and Hugh Dillon as the crew boss for some oil workers who have a camp near the First Nation. Uh, Hugh Dillon, if you don't know, is the singer for a band called The Headstones, Canada's greatest rock and roll band of all time. False. That is my opinion. Who do you like? Oh, you 
Brett's a Nickelback guy. Moving on. Uh, That's also false, <laughs> but uh, whatever. <laughs> Sheridan is one of the best screenwriters out there right now, and he'll forever have this trilogy to be proud of because these are all three terrific movies. The first two had Oscar nominations, but no wins. Sheridan himself nominated for Hell or High Water, which is also nominated for Best Picture. I guess Sicario was sort of the showiest, but its director was Denny Villeneuve. He's one of the hottest directors working in Hollywood right now. Sheridan, though, does find some flair behind the camera in Wind River. The opening shot is not one you'll soon forget, and some of the action that is staged will have you on the edge of your seat for real. It was it blew my mind. Uh, he's a writer at heart, though, and it shows. Um, Renner's character goes through some stuff in this movie. I don't want to get specific about any of it, because... His story comes out in dribs and drabs throughout the movie. It's not a puzzle exactly, but it does take the whole movie to get his whole story and fully understand him. Other movies of a similar ilk would, and I guarantee you this, have someone like the Gray and Green character tell Elizabeth Olsen Renner's entire story in three sentences. She'd be like, what's up with that guy? And Green would be like, well, let me tell you, and then tell you the history of Renner. The storytelling on display here is much more effective. The other thing that separates Wind Rivers from most other movies as far as structure goes is a perfectly placed flashback that changes everything we know about certain characters before and after it. I would sort of liken it to what's happening in Tarantino's The Hateful Eight, if you've seen that, but this is still coming in from a different angle. Very powerful. The whole story sort of hinges on it. And again, a lesser screenwriter just wouldn't be able to do it. Uh, the acting aces from top to bottom. Maybe one guy chooses a little too much scenery. Renner is always good as quietly confident and conflicted. Elizabeth Olsen gets to play tough. Graham Greene is his usual solid self. And Hugh Dillon is perfectly cast, but... A, Again, I don't want to say why. There are too many surprises along this way in this movie to get terribly specific about any of it. The overall themes are important, not just the character stuff Renner goes through, but the overall point about missing and murdered Indigenous women, which, of course, sadly hits home here in Canada. A vast swath of land with little police enforcement, appalling conditions on First Nations. Lots of things that ring true in Canada as well. I can also see people maybe bristling with the fact that Jeremy Renner and Elizabeth Olsen are brought in to try to solve the problems of the First Nation. It works fine in the movie as far as all the characters are concerned, but, you know, it's hard to argue with people who are not impressed with uh, Hollywood so white on display here. Renner's a movie star. You need a movie star to get funding for your movie. That's kind of gross, but that's how Hollywood works. In the movie's defense, there are far more good guy First Nation characters than bad guys, and you don't see a lot of First Nations represented in movies, period. Certainly not in a realistic manner. So it's a good sign that Sheridan could get this movie made. My only other knock against the movie is that a lot of the snow looked very fake. There's some real snow to be sure, but there is some fake stuff and it's pretty glaring. Other than that, uh, saw the movie all around four couch cushions out of five for Wind River. Yeah, good point on this on the snow. There are scenes where it's supposed to be <laughs> freezing cold yeah. and you can tell that it's just not cold. Yeah. I mean, it was shot in Utah. I uh, don't know what time of year it was shot. A lot of it was shot in the mountains, of course, where at the peak of the mountains, it's going to be yeah, there's yeah. going to be snow up there regardless of what time of year it is. But yeah, there's one scene where they say it's colder than a well digger's butt. And none of you, no none breath of them, is coming out. Yeah, there's no breath coming out of any of them. So That's who funny. knows how cold it was? I don't. I haven't heard any of the stories about the shooting of this, but I, I know many other winter movies. Fargo, Die Hard two. If they need snow, they it's oh, this is the least snowy winter in 20 years that year when we tried to shoot. <laughs> so maybe they had a similar thing going on with the River. But there were some other scenes where the where it looked like winter was on full display, yeah. and I, I've come to really enjoy films. That darker films that are set in winter. There's something about having a movie shot in winter that is simultaneously beautiful yep. and 
horrific because yeah. it adds to the claustrophobia and it just adds to the danger. I mean, you if you're in the wild in the middle of winter and there's a snowstorm, you're hooped. Yeah. Yeah. It's not yeah, like in you know, other movies you just oh, I had to sleep outside for three nights. It was nice. <laughs> in the winter it's like <laughs> I'm alone for five hours, I'm dead. Exactly. <laughs> Couch Potato Science 101. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, it, it reminded me of films like The Grey starring Liam Neeson or The Revenant or even that show that I ranted and raved about or have ranted and raved about a lot, Trapped on Netflix. Um, maybe it's just because, you know, we live in Canada and it, yeah. it kind of... It, it, it's it, our thing. It, yeah, it, it's sort of familiar to us. Just like uh, for whatever job you have when you see a movie that the guys has the same job as you, everyone's like, that's not how it really is. You know, I'm a plumber. That's not what plumbing's like. <laughs> yeah. So that says all of winter, all of Canada feels the same way. Yeah. But I uh, I really enjoyed this film too. And it was a packed house, partly I think because Wind River is not playing, like it's still not a significant wide release. I think it's uh, now made just over four or almost five million bucks as of this past weekend. So it has expanded into, I think, just under 700 theaters. So like a typical wide release will be north of 3,000 yeah, yeah. theaters or screens. So when I went to see it, it was jam-packed. And uh, I think that's good because it shows that there is still a market for movies like this, especially in August. You know, mm-hmm. like we're still in the summer movie yeah. season. So it's nice to see that this is kind of... Actually, come to think of it, I think Hell or High Water... That was summer. Came out right around the same time, maybe even the same weekend. Heller High Water was August 12th. Okay. And yeah, Wind River technically, I think, was released on the 11th, and then it started to expand. That's why we got to see it this week as it continues its expansion. Anyway, sorry, I'm falling down a rabbit hole here. <laughs> I agree with Jeff's assessment. I'm going to give Wind River four couch cushions out of five. It's not a happy film. So if you want to, if you see the cast and go, ooh, I like Jeremy Renner or I like Elizabeth Olsen, yeah. don't go into this thinking that this is going to be something floofy. It's, no, they're it's sad. miserable. There's some rough stuff in it for sure. Yeah. But uh, excellent film concluding the Modern Frontier trilogy. Which of the, th- can you pick one? If you had to pick one, would you pick one or? Jeez. I'd need to see for sure Sicario again. Yep. Because I bet on second viewing that thing's even better. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Hell or High Water was the most fun, but yeah. but that largely goes to, you know, Jeff Bridges being Jeff Bridges, that sort of thing. Yeah. And it's, you know, cowboy bank robberies and it's not as, there's some real tragedy involved in Wind River and Sicario, so. Yeah. I don't know that I could pick one. Honestly, they're, all three yeah. of them are excellent films. For all different reasons and yet similar reasons. So, yeah. I highly recommend you watch all three of those films, but Wind River playing in theaters right now. Both Couch Potatoes give it four couch cushions out of five. Up next, I will tell you about Annabelle Creation and The Defenders. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Brett McGarry, Jeff Braun, we are The Couch Potatoes. This week marked the culmination of an idea that was first made public in the fall of 2013 when Netflix and Marvel announced they had signed a deal for four series about individual superheroes and a fifth series where the four would come together. And that is the series that debuted this past weekend, The Defenders. You have interrupted a citywide investigation. You stole evidence from my crime scene. And you got my one lead killed. I was trying to help him, but you didn't. Jessica Jones, stop talking. Who the hell are you? My name is Matthew Murdoch. I'm your attorney. 
The Defenders brings together Daredevil and Jessica Jones. That's who you just heard in that clip. Matt Murdock, a.k.a. Daredevil, and Jessica Jones. As well as Luke Cage and Iron Fist for an eight-episode miniseries that pulls together the stories they've all been telling since April of 2015, when season one of Daredevil debuted. Who are you? Who are you? How come you can't be hurt? What's the deal with that fist? I'm the immortal Iron Fist. You what? You're on the same side. That was the Iron Fist and Luke Cage, as well as Rosario Dawson's character, who was the only one who was in all four series. Now, the larger mythology focuses on an evil organization seen in both Daredevil and Iron Fist, The Hand. They're getting ready to destroy New York, and it's up to the Defenders to stop them. You four. The Devil of Hell's Kitchen. The smart-ass detective. We got a problem? The righteous ex-con. My bad. And the kid with a glowing fist. Yes, I want you to be. The war for New York is here. So get your sh** together. First off, you're hearing it now. Nice theme song. It's got a nice sort of big sound to it, reflective of this major event. And the graphics for the theme, for the intro, are incredible. It's these shots of New York City streets and maps, and they're superimposed over top of our heroes, as though the streets themselves are the veins that run through our characters, who all want to protect their city, who all want to defend their city. When Daredevil first arrived in 2015, it was clear that this Netflix experiment was going to be a lot darker. This was the rated R corner of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and I loved it. Daredevil, who is blind but has honed his senses in a way that allow him to see, is one of the greatest fighters in the world, and he beats people up hard. Jessica Jones arrived later in 2015, a hard-drinking private eye suffering from PTSD. She's super strong and can jump really high, like almost flying high, but they don't really make a big deal out of that because she doesn't make a big deal out of that. Daredevil was really good. I like Jessica Jones even more. Daredevil 2, season 2 rather, arrived in 2016, introducing us to more elements about the hand, which was mysterious and intriguing, but it also introduced us to the fact that maybe Netflix and Marvel doesn't automatically mean great. There was too much going on, and yet there were also pacing problems in the middle where it got kind of boring. And it became apparent, looking back on the first season of Daredevil and Jessica Jones, that these series are maybe too long at 13 episodes each. Luke Cage arrived in September 2016, about a near-invincible hero with super strength and bulletproof skin. The show, set in Harlem, had wonderful soul to it with a killer soundtrack, The first half of the season, though, was better than the second half. Again, pacing issues made this show somewhat problematic at times. Iron Fist arrived earlier this year, and it was flat-out terrible. Actor Finn Jones was miscast in the lead role. He was dreadful. The writing was bad. The directing was bad. Honestly, it's one of the worst shows I have ever watched. Even the fighting was bad. This is a show about kung fu. The immortal Iron Fist is supposed to be the greatest warrior on Earth, but the fighting was just bad. So I had high hopes that the Defenders could right the ship. And for the first few episodes, it did. 
The first half of the show of the first episode, pardon me, is kind of slow, but that was just for me because I know who all these characters are. So we had to kind of get to know them again. They reintroduced all the characters for those who don't know them. But once it picks up, man, I was hooked. I sat down that first night to watch maybe one or two episodes. I watched five. I stayed up until 3.30 in the morning. And I was, I was cranky for work the next day. But I couldn't stop myself. It was addictive. The action was solid. And it once again had a great hallway fight. That's kind of become the hallmark of these Marvel Netflix shows. Hallway brawls. Also, the way that they bring these characters together is ingenious. They all converge on the same location for completely different reasons, but ultimately it's all for the same reason, to defeat the Hand, which is led by the enigmatic Sigourney Weaver, introducing us to a rather complex character. Is she evil? Maybe, maybe not. So, five episodes in, the Defenders are kicking butt, They're all taking playful shots at each other, sort of pointing out on behalf of the fans the various criticisms that have been hurled at the shows. But then disappointment in those final three episodes. It's revealed what the hand is after, and it is, it's underwhelming at best. So the Defenders starts with a roar, but it ends with a bit of a whimper. I still enjoyed it overall but it wasn't quite the masterpiece I was hoping for. And the Iron Fist is still a whiner and I hate him. I will give the Defenders three and a half couch cushions out of five. Up next for Netflix and Marvel, The Punisher. After the end of the credits of the final episode, by the way, there is a little trailer for The Punisher starring John Bernthal, so I am excited for that. Not a whole lot of time left here. I just want to very quickly talk about Annabelle creation. It was quiet for all these years. After Samuel and I lost our daughter, we prayed to see our girl again. The contact started small. But then she wanted permission to move into the doll. We soon realized it wasn't our daughter. So we locked it away. Annabelle Creation is a prequel to a prequel. The Conjuring came out in 2013 and partly featured this creepy doll, which they ended up making a movie about called Annabelle. That debuted back in 2014. And it was scary, but not all that great. And that's kind of what I would say about Annabelle Creation. It was scary, but not all that great. You know what? I don't have time to get into it here, so I'm going to put more details on the review in the podcast, which you can get on Google Play and on iTunes. But in the meantime, I will simply tell you I am going to give Annabelle Creation three couch cushions out of five. That's all the time we have. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother. All right. Here's some bonus stuff for the podcast. Annabelle Creation. So this is a film that opened on August 11th. It's a new entry into the Conjuring universe. That's right. Another cinematic universe. But before you throw your arms up in disgust, let me tell you a little bit more about Annabelle creation. As I said, it's a prequel to a prequel. The Conjuring came out in 2013. A huge success of a scary movie. And it was partly due to this creepy doll named Annabelle. So in 2014, they decided to make a prequel called Annabelle, and while it was scary, wasn't all that great of a movie, The Conjuring was both scary and tremendous. Annabelle was just scary. 
In 2016, The Conjuring 2 comes out. And it was wildly scary once again, and just about as good as the first one. And now finally we have Annabelle Creation, which takes place sometime prior to the events that happen in Annabelle. This movie is about a family whose daughter was killed in a tragic car crash. So an evil entity posing as their daughter asks to live inside the doll. They end up locking up the doll, turn their house into an orphanage, but now the doll wants to make some new friends. Sister, you always say that even though we can't see God, we can feel his presence. In this house, I feel a different kind of presence. An evil one is coming after me. Because I'm the weakest. You help me. What do you need? Now, I scoffed when I heard that they were making this movie. I thought, really? This is the problem with horror movies, right? They always end up going back to the well too much because they're cheap to make and they tend to make a fair amount of money. Like this one, for example, it opened with $35 million in North America two weeks ago. It's up to $67.9 million domestic. At least it was uh, going into the weekend. And then... Uh, $166.6 million worldwide total. Ooh, 1666. Creepy. Uh, I can't get on the box office mojo to tell you what the budget is, but I'm pretty sure the budget was a lot less than that. So I won't be surprised if we see another Annabelle movie. It's got a 67% rating on RottenTomatoes.com. It is... It's a scary movie, much like... Annabelle was the first Annabelle. It was scary, but it wasn't all that great. But as far as scary movies go, it's pretty good. And one of the reasons why it's that they, one of the things that they do very well is they use silence to really excellent effect. And I don't mean like there's no sound whatsoever, but just somebody walking through a hallway or, or sitting in a bedroom or whatever, just looking around, there's no music, there's no dialogue, it's just quiet. And they do this a lot, and what that does is it draws you in. Nothing draws you in quite like silence. So they do this a lot in this movie, and at at first I thought, are they doing it too much? Is it going to be a storytelling device that gets old? But it doesn't get old. It's never gimmicky because it's just such a natural way to draw one in. And then when you draw someone in, in the context of a scary movie, of course it is suspenseful. It is tense and it's done very well. Also, uh, on this show, we often refer to child actors as some kid. There is some kid in this film. I'm just pulling that up right now who is tremendous. Her character's name is Janice. And this young woman has a bright future ahead of her. Her name is Talitha Eliana Bateman. And I see that she was in a movie called The Fifth Wave a couple of years ago, which uh, was based on a young adult movie. She's also in a film called Geostorm, which comes out later this year, I think. Uh, October 20th, in fact. So yeah, her, oh my God. Yeah, she's already got a fairly lengthy list of credits on IMDb. So yeah, she's going to be around for a little while. She was tremendous. And 
I kind of like the way that they ended up tying the events of this film into the first Annabelle movie. So it all makes sense. And it also showed that there isn't going to be a sequel to the prequel in between, like Annabelle after the creation, or I don't know, call it whatever you want. They just, they tied the events of this film directly into the beginning of Annabelle. So it makes sense. Also, there's a nice tease to the nun character from The Conjuring 2 that is featured in the film. It's actually kind of dumb when in the context of it, but it still it was nice to see it, uh, sort of making sure that they remind the audience that, hey, this is The Conjuring universe. It was just nice to see. It didn't make sense, but it was, I was happy to see it. Also, that reminds me, um, there is a scene after the credits. There is a scene during the credits and then a scene after the credits, which is creepy. The nun character is nightmare fuel. Sometimes I wonder why I go see these scary movies because they... (laughs) I'm just closing my eyes and thinking about the nun right now. It's terrifying, but I get a kick out of scary movies, so whatever. The dread in this film is actually at a near constant level. It is very suspenseful. Like I said, it's very tense. It's just, if you like scary movies, then I think you will like Annabelle Creation. I just don't think you will love it. So once again, I will give Annabelle Creation three couch cushions out of five. And while I got a minute here, I have some more stuff that I prepared that just didn't have time to get to air. Do you remember a show starring Matt LeBlanc called Episodes? I wouldn't be surprised if you didn't remember it because I forgot all about it because it's been off TV for two and a half years. But then season five (laughs) debuted this past Sunday. Hey, where are we on my window? You're an actor. Act like there's a window. You're a producer. Go f*** yourself. (laughs) It hails from Showtime in the U.S. It airs on the movie network here on Sundays. LeBlanc plays a pompous, doofus, hilarious version of himself. It also stars two British writers named Sean and Beverly who have worked closely with Matt LeBlanc through the seasons. You're the abusive boyfriend we never had. You don't think there's love here? No, no. The show started off with the British writers being hired by Hollywood to do an American version of their TV show. Their show in England was called Lyman's Boys, about a private school. The American version, they changed the role of headmaster to hockey coach in a show called Pucks. So it was a nice send-up of how in the U.S. they often take great British ideas and then dumb it down for a North American audience. I'm just trying to remember now, when did episodes debut as a TV series? Hang on a sec. The first episode aired January 9th, 2011. So for a show that has five seasons to it, it's taking a little bit long to get to it. That's more of a British pace of TV than American. It is weird that it's been gone for two and a half years. Anyway, Pucks, back to the Pucks TV show. It eventually fails. So the Sean and Beverly, as well as Matt LeBlanc, they've kind of gone their separate ways. LeBlanc now hosts a hilarious game show called The Box, in which people have to live in a small transparent cube for 17 weeks. It's just ridiculous. While Sean and Beverly are stuck working for an idiot. I hope we're not keeping things in just because they're funny. Comedies don't have to be funny anymore. Although that, that actually could also be kind of a commentary on... The way that we look at comedies now, I mean, Orange is the New Black was 
quite a, for a long time nominated as a comedy at the Emmys, but a lot of people said it was way more dramatic than it was funny. Season four of episodes ended March 15th, 2015. Thankfully, there was a half-decent recap at the beginning of the episode, but for a gap that long, the recap wasn't good enough. I kept having to pause the show so I could Google stuff. You know how hard it is to Google a show called Episodes? You get hits for episodes of any other TV show. But I will say that it was worth the wait because I love this show. I enjoy episodes thanks to lines like this. Remember when I screwed your wife? Yeah. That's it. Just wanted you to remember. Episodes, once again, air Sunday nights on the Movie Network. Thanks for sticking around. Once again, I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. I already did this already. See you later.